Coming up on today's episode of the Real Lives Podcast. I'm world champion! What? I think I was the highest finisher in the GB squad at 15th, and it's like, wow, okay, that's the first time GB haven't won a medal at the at an Olympics in skeleton. And this is the negative side of it. Like, I want to be the best straight away, and I want to push myself, in, which is a good thing, but I also... I'm not very good at taking a step back and being realistic with myself. But I was sat there with my physio. It was just us two in a room. And I was like, I just won the World Championship. And she was there like, yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. I don't think that it's that good a mentality to have if I wasn't doing what I'm doing. Because, like I say, I can become very obsessive over it, especially with skeleton. Now, just before we get into today's episode, I just want to say... Yeah, I've been missing MIA um, for, what, four months? Um, And I'm going to do a a solo episode on that, just sort of discussing as to why I took so much time off. It was definitely needed, but in that meantime, I have been recording episodes and there's probably about three months worth of episodes so far, which are ready and there to come out with some great guests. And today's one with Matt Weston um, is nothing but great, you know? skeleton world champion um olympian the guy has been to the top of his sport and is only seemingly going further so i hope you enjoy this episode with matt weston you can find his links down in the description below make sure to like and subscribe to the podcast and all that bullshit and yeah enjoy this episode with matt weston okay so matt welcome to the podcast just give a brief introduction as to who you are and what you do um I always find this a bit weird, but my name is Matt Weston. I'm a GB skeleton athlete and one of the current world and, uh, world and European champion. Yeah, I almost got that wrong. Crazy. So, yeah, as you just said, world and European champion, which is, you know, crazy to think that, you know, you've achieved that and a massive congrats on it. But to take it back to the very beginning, let's get yeah. into sort of your sporting background. So, because obviously you don't start out as a skeleton athlete as a kid. So no. what sports were you into as a kid? So I did, um, I, I basically was one of those kids that was really sporty. I sort of loved um, any sport I could get my hands on, basically. Uh, PE was my favourite subject. Uh, so, but the main sports I did when I was younger were um, Taekwondo and rugby. They were probably my two, yeah, my two main ones. What age did you get into Taekwondo? Was it young? Very young. Yeah, yeah, very early, like four, maybe, four, five, something like that. I, I did it from like, I can't remember a time where I'd, I'd when I didn't do it, basically. So how did them two complement each other? Because obviously both pretty strenuous activities where you can get injured pretty easily. So how did you manage to sort of be able to compete in both? Um, I suppose when you're a kid, you've just got a bunch of energy. You don't, you don't really... Uh, it, <laughs> I think now if I tried to do that, I was probably training... I was training four to five times a week with... Um, uh, taekwondo and similar with rugby because I did school as well so I was probably training like 10 11 times a week with that I think even now like as a professional athlete I probably just about do that and I need like days off and stuff like that so um I think yeah it was quite I think when you're young you have that sort of like bounce back sort of uh your body can just deal with it basically when you're younger um yeah there's no way I could do all that training there <laughs> so what what sort of level were you competing at in those two sports then as, as uh, you grew up, so rugby, I did. I played for County, I played for Kent, um, and seven oaks with my local club. Um, when I, especially as I got to be seniors, um, and then uh, I played at a 
Technical Societies Academy College as well uh, for that. But then Taekwondo was probably my main sport when I was um, when I was showing up. I competed internationally with that. I um, uh, yeah, I, I think I won Euros and I got a silver at uh, one of the world uh, for Taekwondo when I was very young. So that was probably yeah, that was probably my main sport growing up. Jesus, so. When did you start to get to that international stage with the taekwondo? What age was that? Possibly around like something silly like 13. Um, wow. Something like Because it's all age categories and weight categories. So although I'd be 13, I wouldn't be fighting like a 30-year-old bloke. Yeah. It's kind of like I'd be fighting like other like 13, 14-year-olds of similar size. Um, so it, wasn't, it sounds like, oh my God, you're competing in exactly at 13. But it was basically against like other like two-foot-tall kids the second yeah yeah but still like at 13 to be on an international level to be able to you know to be picked to compete there is it's still impressive achievement sort of thing because you know most kids in whatever sports they do maybe it's at like a county level or a national level but to get to the international stage of that age is you know it's pretty significant but when you're talking about competing on that international stage and you were still keeping up rugby at the time how were you balancing the two i to be honest when I look back at it, I don't actually know because, uh, like, my, my my week would be crazy. Like, I, I'd train, yeah, like I say, like two three times um, a day almost. Like, I'd, I'd probably do rugby training. Like, as one of the standard days of me would be um, go to school, obviously, maybe have a pee lesson in there. But I'd do rugby training after school. I then get the bus straight um, straight back to where I'm from on where I used to train. I used to actually teach, um, help assist teach like on the classes for a couple of hours. And then I'd train for about two or three hours, like myself. Um, so it was kind of, it was, it was full on, very intense. And I think I slept well as a kid, basically. I was so tired by the end of it. But yeah, it, I think it I think it was just one of those things that I didn't really know anything different. So I didn't really struggle with coping on how to, um, if I'd gone from doing nothing to that, I think it would have been like, whoa, like a whirlwind. Um, you know, I would have had like no time at all, but because I I was brought up doing it, I was, I was so used to um, training that that often that it didn't end up really being. I, I didn't really feel like, oh my god, this is too much. It was just standard for me. And a lot of my friends did similar training um, because they were part of the England squad as well, and they did like they like rugby and things. So it was, I didn't see myself as like a, an outsider training that much. It's kind of like there's a group of us that did that. So yeah. So. At the, you said you went to a Saracens college to play rugby. So obviously you've played at a decent level at both and both of them really, you know, they differ massively in terms of key performance indicators and what makes an athlete successful in that sport. Yeah, very different. So were you, were you just that kid who was the, like a really good all-rounder at any sort of activity that he sort of took up? Uh, I think so. I wouldn't say I'm like nap Like there's certain things that I, I feel like I'm, I'm naturally pick up quite well and I'm actually quite good at and um, luckily Skeleton was one of them but um there's I would say I just the big thing for me is that I hate losing <laughs> so I think uh, in any sport I did and, and things like that, it was it was more that I, I can't I can't lose I didn't want to lose I didn't I, I couldn't let myself um not win so I think that's why I became good at those sports because I almost became obsessive with them like Taekwondo I think I lost I lost the final of the Worlds and uh, I couldn't get that out of my head for years, even at like 14, 15 years old. Um, and it was just con, and that's what, like, every time I used to go to training, 
I used to, and I was feeling tired, and I was like, I can't go, I can't do this anymore. Like, my legs are just like still off. Like, I can't, like, I've been punched in my head five times today. Like, I can't go on. Like, um, I, I always used to remember that, and then I'd, I'd suddenly have another 20% more energy type thing. So, um, I think that's what, um, yeah, I just, I, I can't stand losing, basically. Even as a kid, though, to have that drive where it's the, it, it seems like it was an all consuming thing, you know, when to think about the fact that you lost the world. And at that age, is it's huge. Like, you know, I played football and, you know, we've lost in finals and stuff, but probably two months later, I kind of, you forget about it. You don't really think too much about it, but it's, elite, it's an elite athlete mentality at such a young age. Yeah, I would say it's, um, so for me, especially with skeleton and, and, and the way I am, on, and it kind of really helps with my job that I'm a professional athlete, but it, I don't think that, it's that good a mentality to have if I wasn't doing what I'm doing. Um, because it, it like I say, it can, I can become, um, very obsessive over it, especially with skeleton, um, to get support I'm in and, and it'll, I've probably like, uh, ridiculously fast in terms of like aggressively. So for, for context, I think when you start, you should like start winning uh, world cup medals and possibly go to Olympics after six years, uh, eight years, sorry. I went after five of my fifth year. So it's kind of like, I, I was like quite ahead of the, uh, almost like half the time it took to get there. But it was because I was so obsessive over it. I, I could not not win, basically. I hated it even when I first started and people have been doing it for years longer, um, which in my sport makes a big difference. I couldn't, I, I hated it, I hated it. So I think, it's been very good for me for that but also sometimes I, I need to my coaches need to tell me when to stop and be like no Matt like calm down take a step back and it'll be fine um I th I'd say that, that that's the other side of it that it's it sounds all good like I can't not win I have that motivation but there is also some negatives with it as well yeah it was negatives with everything but I think in that in terms of being the best in whatever you do you do need an aspect of that it does it like and it will always come at a detriment to it. Like, you know, you look at, you look at some of the best in the world and the way they are about how they play or whatever sport they do, there's always going to be some aspect of it where you think when, if you were to look deeper into like how it affects personal life, how it affects relationships and stuff like that, it probably does have a significant effect, but it means they can be the top of their game. Yeah. It, and it does. And, um, seeing an athlete is actually quite selfish with that. Um, I know from, uh, from conversations right with my fiance and things like that like so especially in my job i'm away so much over the winter and i'm training like all the time i'm like sometimes she'll be like, oh should we go um should we go have a walk or should we go down the pub for a quick drink or something like that i can't because either i'm, I'm training too hard or i'm just so tired i can't i'm fatigued and I, it is very very one-sided being an athlete with that as well how so how important is it then because obviously having people who can support that and are fully aware of what it, the sacrifices are to make it. How important is it to have someone who can be so open-minded to the the fact that you will be away for, you know, probably four or five months of the year training and missing like birthdays, different events and what have you? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's probably one of the worst things about birthdays, funerals, weddings and things like that. You, it's that's the, the rubbish side of it. Um, like I didn't see like I missed my grandma's funeral. I missed like loads of other things because of because of racing. Um, so it's very selfish. But I, in terms, 
going back to your question of how important is it, I'd say it's invaluable. Um, I wouldn't be in the position I am today without the support network I have around me. A hundred percent, I'd put any amount of money on that. It's it's to me the support you have outside of your sport is um, way more important. For me, the easy part is racing. I enjoy that. That's easy. It's everything else around it that you need the support you're away for so long and it's all of that stuff that's what i kind of i struggle with the most so that having that support network around me is invaluable so do people come with you on obviously your trips away does any family come with you at any point or is it usually just you and the team uh so we we work as sort of like a um pod or group like so, so we travel all around together um in terms of family and friends coming out they um they come and visit as in like they come and watch the race and stuff but they're not allowed to stay in the same hotel as us and and like rules like that so i do see them when i'm away but um yeah seeing them at the bottom of the bottom of the racetrack for a quick hug at the end is um and then i've got another six weeks away from them it's a bit rubbish sometimes but just yeah i think them coming to watch and support like means a lot yeah so let's just take it back a bit so obviously as a kid you competed in rugby and taekwondo so at what point was it that you stopped competing in those sports and started the transition towards skeleton? So I stopped Taekwondo around 16, 17, around that. Um, I tried to make it, I had a really bad back injury, uh, fractured um, my L5 vertebrae, uh, just not like an impact injury, just over twisting and just like too much, it's basically a stress injury. And um, I, yeah, so I had to, I, I had to have like 18 months off then, tried to come back, my back wouldn't like it, so I basically, that was the, the last straw for Taekwondo. I played rugby for a bit longer after that, and then um, I did this talent ID scheme called Discover Your Gold. It's run by UK Sport, and I went along to them to, just to see what I could do, see what, um, see how I'd do against like the markers they had there. And I was beating a lot of those. So the, um, I was like, oh, okay, this is a bit surprising. But they send the results up for all of these for loads of different sports. And then Skeleton um, messaged me and said, oh, look, you've got a couple of screws loose. Why don't you come and try this sport? <laughs> yeah. So what is, what's involved in that testing day then? What sort of things are they looking for? Um, is it like mainly speed work? Is it just like, you know, you're looking at all aspects like change of direction? agility, uh, balance, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, kind of like a, a, a mix of everything. Um, it's, it's, so when I went, they basically, there's lots of different um, things you can go for in this uh, talent ID thing. And I, I did the one from Discover Your Power. Um, so they're very much on your like explosive strength and your um, like how fast you can run, how high you can jump um, and things like that. And they, and, and they even take all your measurements from your body and things uh, and so it's like all like rigorous testing um for it so it's yeah it's mainly the, the power one is mainly how high you can jump by five seconds sprint went on a watt bike and it was for sports like sprint cycling uh i think they had sprint canoeing sevens rugby for women um and then obviously skeleton and things like that so they were recruiting for a whole load of like power-based sports but there was loads of different ones like discover your martial art discover your speed discover your skill for like things like archery and things so it's all like a, a whole different battery of testing for those things yeah so what made you go for that power aspect of it then instead of anything else uh to be honest things my um weightlifting coach 
who I used to train with, um, told me a few hours long to do. So he, he, I used to be quite quick playing rugby. I was a winger. Um, and I was quite powerful anyway. So like just from all the weight training and doing taekwondo and stuff like that. So I was like, that kind of seemed like it suited me a bit more. And it also, the sports that it said that it um, could lead to, I was more interested in those sports than others. Um, so that's, that is why I, I think it's a, it's a power base. Yeah. After you've done that testing day, how long was it then before they got in touch with you and sort of said, look, we want you to try out for, you know, GB skeleton? Probably a couple of months. Um, so it's kind of like a, from when I did that to actually joining the team was probably about six, seven months, quite a long time. Um, so I did, uh, uh, from that time, skeleton, yeah, skeleton messaged me about two months after that. They invited me down to Bath, which is where our um, our main like training facilities are based. And the push track that is what we train on in the summer. So it's like a dry version of the start on rails. Um, that's where they went. We had to go on that. And then they saw our results from that. They took us to places like the Royal Marines, test our mental strengths and, and loads of different phases like that. And then eventually they took me to Austria to actually have a go on ice. And then... Um, yeah, after that that two week camp, they uh, asked me to join the GB team. Crazy. So that obviously after that whole process, did you think that you would be going to compete for Team GB? And also, actually going back, did you know a lot about Skeleton when they got in touch with you, or were you just like fully unaware of what it was? Uh, I I sort of I sort of did. I've always like seen it on Winter Olympics and gone Balik sick. Like you know, it's still. But I also remember, and I, I don't know if you remember, you remember, but Amy Williams, who, who's a skeleton gold medalist um, from Vancouver, she went on Top Gear, and I always remember her being on Top Gear, um, going and having going the it was like the reasonably priced car they called it back then. I think she went in that, and I always sort of like distinctly remember that, which is um, so obviously that's something I'd love to do. Yeah, nice quality. So. Then obviously when you get in and you're a part of Team GB, what does your training schedule then become? Is that at the point where you become a full-time athlete or at that point are you part-time? No, no, as soon as you're selected on, so whilst I was in all the tra training uh, trial phases, um, I can get my words out. Yeah, so whilst I was doing all those trial phases, um, you're not a full-time athlete. You're still doing what you're doing and then just going on to see if you have like the raw um, physical attributes and most last week that they, they want to take on. But as soon as I got selected onto the team after that two-week camp in, in Austria, um, you're basically, they're, they're scheduling in, okay, you're coming in from this day. You're, once you sign on, this is when you, your start date of being in the team is. And as soon as you've crossed that time, you're, you are, we're based full-time in Bath. And yeah, two, three seconds a day, full-time athlete, straight into it. And that, that going from... I was quite a fit, like active, very active, like young man when I when I started. Um, but going from normal to being a professional athlete and doing that type of training, honestly, I was having like three, four hour naps in the middle of the day. I just was like so exhausted for like six months. I couldn't deal with it. It was quite a baptism of fire when you first start training like full time. It's very, very different to what people imagine. So what did you learn in those first few months then of that, like obviously moving into such an intensive training period? Um, how much sleep is important for you <laughs> um, and how much food like things. So when I joined, I was quite light. I was about between 70, 72 kilos, something like that. Um, and they wanted me at least 80 kilos. 
So I got to 80 kilos within six months. Um, obviously a little bit fluffy around the edges, but um, because you have to eat so much to get to that weight, but I got so much stronger and so much thicker in such a ridiculously fast amount of time because I was having six, at least six main meals a day, eating so much, trying to recover, trying to sleep. And the, the so I, I used to think I used to do, like I said, it was pretty good in general life, like how much I'd trained in the gym, how fit I was. And I used to think my progress was going pretty quickly. Honestly, it's like it just went vertical straight away. When I started joining um, Skeleton and training full-time, your performance just goes bang because you your whole life is based around training, recovery, being more efficient and uh, in all those areas. And that's the thing, the, the, the thing I noticed the most, like how quickly you can see progress, how quickly you can um, make make changes in your physical like um, capabilities because you're full-time. I don't have the stresses of work. I don't have to deal with this but, and all that sort of stuff. So, Have you ever yeah. had a, like a, a normal job or have you yeah. always just been an yeah. athlete? Yeah, I have. Yeah, um, I was. Uh, I was briefly, literally, I just qualified as a PT for about two months before I started full time in oh, no skeleton. Way. So that was like I literally did that for like two months. Like, damn it, I haven't, haven't done it since. But I worked for um, a construction company as sort of like a junior project manager for a while. Um, I've had loads of like. Uh, I worked in a fish and chip shop for a few years. <laughs> I love that. Um, and some cafes and things like yeah. So I. I have had normal jobs, but this is by far the best job. It's always interesting when you talk to athletes as well, because you you know, like trying to get them to think of whether or not they can could ever work in a in a normal job again. Like I could already speaking to you, you know what for the past twenty minutes, I can already tell you the kind of person who just could never go back into that normal nine to five. No, I don't think my um probably my ADHD can deal with it as well. Instead of <laughs> sitting still for that amount of hours i think being active and doing stuff really helps that um no i don't i, I don't think i could have a primarily office based job no not at all I, I, it's it's one of those that i've been outside of for so long now and i i love this title like i mean this job kind of is my dream job so as long as i can keep doing this for as long as possible whilst my body can hold up doing it um with all the injuries and stuff about it, it's kind of like, okay, well, stuff and do it, I'll do it. But I don't, I think afterwards, I'd probably look to get into more like coaching or more, um, more of a physical based job still, um, around that. Or yeah, so I just, I couldn't be someone who's in an office every single day. I, I think I'd maybe last a week or so. <laughs> <laughs> so take it back to obviously you've gone through the first initial few months of intensive training. When was your first race? Uh, for Team GB? So, because obviously it's a brand new sport and everyone who's joined the team, it is that situation. You don't actually race until your third year. So I did two years of like, so summer would be physical training, then winter odd training on ice. I did two of those years and then the third year is when you'd start on the very bottom level of um, competition called Europa Cup. Um, when I started, there was three levels of competition. It's Europa Cup, Intercontinental and then World Cup. Um, yeah, and that was my that was my first. I only started competing on my third year. Thinking as well, like obviously you competed on the international stage in Taekwondo. Did that carry over in terms of how you sort of prepared on race day in the skeleton during those early, those early races there? I I definitely say it did help me straight away. Um, it was it was something that I was able to adapt a lot more quickly to than others. 
but I'd also say I had to tweak it quite a lot because the the, the mean mindset and how you approach things, how, how I'd approach the walls makes a massive difference in how I perform on the day. Um, so I had to adjust also how I how I approach the races because I approach I used to approach them like I would um, a fight, and obviously that's very very different. Like in terms of so that the principle of skeleton, you have to be really really relaxed. As you're going down and if you're stiff and tense it slows the sled down and you're like it's just not it's not smooth it's not flowy so if you're relaxed on the sled even if you're offline you're going to be faster than someone who's more tense on the perfect line if that makes sense so um so me going into a race with the mentality of i'm going to fight doesn't really mix with that so i had to i had to do a lot of work on how i would track how i would with sports or just like how i Came out what I'm after, and we came up with some some things like um, sweet spot area of like okay, they call it, I was trying not to laugh, but they call it like the um, how aroused you are on the on the blocks. Um, so it's like obviously if you're if you're like too aroused, like too hyped, like how I said I would go into a fight, you're going to be too tense and too like erratic basically. But then you can go the other way and be too relaxed and not have anything to push. So you have to find that sweet spot of like. I've got enough so I can push as fast as I can, but also I can also switch quite quickly to being relaxed and um, on the sled. And uh, yeah, I worked well. I worked a lot with um, sports sites and things like that, just to try and make that work and and how I would go about that. Yeah, it's it's really interesting because I obviously had a look at sort of your race finishes and how your seasons went and stuff like that. And you know, from 2019 to the end of 2022 you won one race and then this recent season from 2022 to 23 you won five of eight finished second overall and you won the world cup as well like what what changed from that you know that first three years to then this season so the first year of racing that was my so the first time on world cup that was um well that have been at seven so that was three years ago now so that was when that would have been my first year of racing so on my first year of racing i went from the bottom run and i had a a race on world cup that year i also went to world championships that year so that was a very much like baptism of fire year for me so i wasn't expected to perform on any of those world cup and uh world championship events it was more like get experience they saw i had the potential to be quite good in the future so they they exposed me to these things really early just so I could get a, like a an experience of being competing on the high le- highest level in World Cup with all people sticking because you have cameras shoved in your face when you're just about to go and you're thinking like that. So you need to get used to that. So that first year I wasn't expecting to perform so those results. Although they weren't bad, you, I almost write them off. Um that second year is when I won um my first world cup medal i think for one silver and had a couple of like fourth and fifth place finishes and that again i was very very young um and new to the sport to be doing that so um they were very like it was sort of like oh okay glimpses of of something very good and then olympic year which was really really difficult for not only me the whole squad um we basically took a risk for the equipment brought out a new a new sled um which ended up not working um, and being slow. So although I won a race that year, that was, I think, because it's on my favorite track. I've actually got the track record there now. So it's like, I'm, I'm very good at that track. So that's why I um, I think I managed to win a medal there. But 
in terms of the rest of, if you look at obviously my results i'll like between 10 and 5 probably average um that year but um I, my, all of my teammates they were we were all missing the cut which you don't get a second run just as if you're out of the top 20 all of my other teammates missed the cut that year everyone with the average finish with like seven teams they will say or something like that it was it was a horrible year for us and then going into the olympics i think i finished 15 because again that that risk with equipment really didn't gel even more with that uh, the olympic track so um yeah it was a, it was a tough year to get your head around but i actually think in terms of how i slid i slid very well that year and i raced very well i was just being held back with them um, by the equipment do you follow f1 yeah, so it's like um, when the new car rules came in and Mercedes were just warboarding everywhere and couldn't do anything. Basically, the same as what happened to us Olympic year. We went from being, okay, we've got the potential with good good equipment, not the best, but good equipment. We could have done well. Um, we went from there to absolutely dive bombing and nowhere. And then, and then this year, the most recent year, we... Um, we changed our equipment. We changed us, us our head, um, our head coach, our head mechanic, um, and lots of other things. We brought in some, yeah, loads of new people. Completely threw everything out from the year before the World Olympic year, start from scratch, and it, you can just see it, it wasn't just me that won medals. Just obviously, I had a very good season. That like I, I won quite a lot of medals, but everyone who went to the Olympics the year before won a World Cup medal that year. So that just goes to prove that it was it was the it definitely was the equipment letting us down, and with that we are actually quite a talented squad. So it's kind of it's that I, that that's the reason why it suddenly shot up because of a massive equipment change. And it's like if you took like look like going back to F one, if you took um, Lewis out of his car, put him in a Red Bull, he'd be straight away up competing, um, like within an instant basically. And I think that's basically what happened to us this year that we could do it and. I got used to it as the season went on and on, like I said, the back end of the season, I think we won five in a row or something silly like that. It was, um, yeah, it was pretty crazy. With the sled there, what was it that caused that sort of capitulation that year? And then what was it that you changed that then allowed for the success this year? Um, well, I've got to be careful. I don't say too much um, because equipment <laughs> is very, it's like a single TF1 equipment is yeah. basically everything. But, um, there's a couple of different principles within um, skeleton on what what people think makes a sled go fast. Um, one extreme is uh, really stiff sleds, um, which means you don't put that much input into it. But even if you're on the wrong lines, it doesn't take too much out of it. And then the completely the other side is um, a really 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 soft sled, um, completely light, so you can steer it completely. So you can drive the perfect lines, but the only way that that is quick is if you drive the perfect lines. So each side has pros and cons, and um, without going too much into it for obvious reasons, um, we chose one of those uh, principles, and it basically didn't work for us. We tried to go about it a different way than it had been done, and it didn't work. Whereas now we've got um, new sled with a different principle, and it's uh, it's working. And it's also a lot to do with personal preference. So I prefer obviously the the way we do, not just because of the medals, but I prefer like the feeling and the, and how I race with the. The new principle we've got after um and it's obviously very fast and i'm more comfortable on it which means i'm more relaxed which like i said earlier makes me even faster so it kind of a snowball effect of when i get comfortable the sled's faster i get more relaxed and it just keeps going and going and going and then yeah like by the end of the season it was insane i felt unbeatable yeah hmm. so 
because when I was reading about it, the, I think it was your second race, you finished 18th, which was the one that kind of took away that first, because the guy yeah. finished first overall, I think his lowest position was fourth or fifth over the year. Yeah. So what what was it in that race that went wrong? And also, what did you learn from that going forward to obviously then go on and win <laughs> five in a row? Um. So, yeah, I mean, apart if you took that race out, I think my, my lowest finish was third place that year which is insane. Like, I, I can't even get my head around that still. But what happened there is uh, we have something called um, popping your slider, which basically at the start of the track, when we push and when, like the same with Bob say, there's there's two grooves cut out at the top of a track for about 30 metres. So when I'm bent over running, the sleds are just not going everywhere. But they're only about a centimetre deep. And what happened was I basically put too much pressure down on the sled or too much of a, an angle. And the sled actually stopped out of those grooves. So I had no control over the sled. And my, my start time was about five seconds slower than everyone else's. So I was already out of the, um, out of the picture, but I was actually quite, quite pleased because my second run was very good. I didn't pop the spur and that, well, I was, oh, I was a bit nervous still. I didn't try my best. I think it's the fourth fastest run on a track I'd only had five runs on before six runs in. So it was a brand new track to me as well. So it was, um, yeah, uh, I think I didn't. Even, I didn't come last. <laughs> I managed to overtake someone on the second run um, because the, my second run was really quick. So, yeah, without that, I think even if I'd had an average start, I thought I would have won overall um, if it wasn't for that. But hey, like, it's my first year of being. I've, I've had us having a successful year. It's, it's probably um, God or karma or somewhere like that saying you can't have everything in one year. So there's something I'm going after next year, definitely. So. Yeah, that's it. It kind of gives you, well, it gives you the drive to carry on because, you know, there's, you look at, at, the, at the extreme end of it, like Tyson Fury is a really good example of it where he has one thing he's wanted to work towards his entire life and that's to be the world champion heavyweight boxer. And when he achieved it, he completely fell off the rails because he was like, what, what else do I do now? So it's obviously that you're not going to go and do that to that extent, but what I mean is like having that extra thing to continue to work towards knowing like I was so close to it this year next year I can be even better it's obviously going to play in your favor yeah 100% and and to be honest I, I already feel like towards the end of the season I had a target on my back so I think that motivates me even more um, to try and like push myself on and, and make sure that people can't catch me um but yeah that, that is something that I was a bit I'm a bit like oh that would have been nice to get everything but to be honest mate it, like even even winning world champs is like, I see that as a stepping stone because my main goal is Olympic champs, like Olympic champion. That That is that is the one thing that I'm after in, in my sport. And one like my, my life goal, basically, is is to become Olympic champion. So I see winning world championships and I see all of the, all of the race wins as stepping stones and learning from them in preparation for um, the Milan 2026 Olympics, which I'm, I'm hoping to go there and, and obviously the goal is to, to go out and just win basically and, and, and yeah, come back with a gold medal. But that that is my goal. And um like you were saying about uh Tyson Fury, that um have you ever heard of something called the post gamers blues? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's just, uh, basically what happens to Tyson Fury, people work their whole life, go to an Olympics, whether it goes well, whether it doesn't like you work your whole life and actually I find that quite tough because ours ours didn't go that well. Um, at the Olympics, and I know some of my other, my other athlete friends did really, really like struggled with it afterwards. 
you go there and you're the whole pinnacle of your career like some people is just just to go to an olympics which is an achievement in itself it's like to to go there to be able to call yourself an olympian and have the rings on your on your jumper and stuff like that it's 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 quite an honor and it's it's to me it's very very important when you you come home and you're like right now what i've just achieved my lifelong goal at 25 or 24 however old i was like it's what do i do now what do i like it obviously for me i had still had things i wanted to achieve i still had stuff like that but to become an olympian to be to go that sort of thing to to go to that sort of thing it's kind of like afterwards it's kind of like well i still have stuff to do it's kind of like this was meant to be an amazing experience for me and it wasn't it was meant to be it really messed with your head basically yeah it's like i interviewed um a former summer olympics medalist uh manio mitchell and he competed for team usa in the four by 400 meter race and during that race it was about 200 meters in he broke part of his shin bone like essentially during the run broke part of his shin bone and completed the rest of it um obviously on a broken leg and that year it was the first year team usa hadn't won gold and he came away from that like a bit obviously down and felt down and out because of it but he's now gone and created a career as a motivational speaker talking about perseverance and stuff like that and he can use that going forward and it's sometimes there's things in the bad situations that we can't quite understand and then now like he's you know he's taken something that was a terrible situation to something that's great and now he's you know he's trying to also go to the 2026 milan olympics to compete in bobsled like he's completely changed sports and everything so you know there's always positives from those situations oh 100 percent, and the, and i guarantee that there was no way i would have been in this position this year if we didn't have such a failure at the olympics um because of everything that's changed since then, my mindset of it and like my, my drive to go and succeed this year, um, it wouldn't have been the same if the Olympics was like, if I'd finished sixth, it's kind of like, oh, it's not too bad. It's okay. We wouldn't have had the changes we we had. But like, I think I was the highest finisher in the GB squad at 15th. And it's like, wow, okay. That's the first time GB haven't won a medal at the at an Olympics in skeleton. Um, so it's kind of a, yeah, I, I, Although it was rubbish and it's still like when I think back to it, it's still quite sad and I'm quite disappointed as how the Olympics went. Um, I I wouldn't change it at all because of what's happened now, basically, like because of all the what what has changed um only throughout the programme but also in me and how in, in my motivation, how I deal with things now. Um yeah, I wouldn't I, I wouldn't be in a position today. Yeah, absolutely. When you're talking about like the World Cup stage and then the Olympic stage, what are the differences in terms of how you feel as an athlete, uh, the logistical side of it, you know, obviously the media side of it, you build up to the races. What's what's the difference between the two? Well, um, the main thing is seeing so many other nations. Um, so at the Olympics, it was it was very much like. At my village, we had skiing, like a few like slalom um, events, like skiing events, um, having to bobsay, skeleton, luge, and possibly something else as well. I can't, I can't quite remember, but it was um, there was loads and loads of other athletes. Twenty-four hour food hall was pretty insane. Um, now I like that, and um, there was, yeah, I think it was it, it, that was the biggest difference for me. And um, the media and things like that, it was yeah, there was a bit of media attention. 
Um, and they sort of like skeleton obviously had such a, a good track record in terms of Olympics. So we had a lot of pressure on our shoulders to try and perform. Um, and I'd won a medal that year as well. So it's kind of like, get, like people had a lot of pressure and like expecting it to go out and win something basically. But I don't think the Olympics was as intense as I've heard it can be in the past because it was still COVID. Um, in China, we had, like the only people that were watching us were staff and other athletes and other staff from other sports that weren't busy that evening or something like that. They came and watched us compete. So it's kind of like there must have been 40 people at the finish, something like that. Whereas actually uh, uh, in Pyeongchang, uh, I'm still friends with quite a few people who went there and, and meddled like Laura, um, saying that there was thousands of people at the bottom, was that all the way down the track, you could hear it all the way down. It was just such a surreal experience. But to be honest, I'm kind of glad that um, China, because it ended up being rubbish like competition, that I had almost like a, a stepping stone into what should be like a big, um, a big event in Milan. Now, I've actually done this before. The only difference for me this time is there's going to be a crowd. Whereas actually before, like you could think, oh, there was going to be seeing other athletes, the like the whole Olympic experience, like the pressure, the media, and it, like all of that was brand new last time. So the fact that I only have to have one real thing different next time is kind of comforting for me because then I'm like, I'm, I'm not going to get overwhelmed by the whole event. I know what I need to do. I know what an Olympic setup is like. I know, you know, what it's like being at a game to deal with the pressure, to deal with the media, to to do with all that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's, I, I, I'm kind of glad I had that. I almost taking Beijing was a big experience and learning curve. I'm ready for Milan. At the World Cup, what kind of crowds seem to come to those events? Because I can imagine in places like San Moritz, there's probably quite a few people who do go. Yeah, some roads being um being the world championships as well. There was quite yeah, there was thousands there. There was quite a few. There was a big crowd, and um, there was a lot of our family and friends left in GB. So uh, uh, whether you're at the start or at the finish, there was always some GB people there ch- sh- uh, shouting at you, cheering your name on, and stuff like that. So yeah, that was really really cool. Um, and but to be honest, some races you might only have like a couple hundred, but a hundred like just like people watching including like staff and that place not that big but other races like some people races where they're really popular like merits of world champ there was thousands and stuff like that so um yeah but it's it's not because of where we go standing outside at minus 15 isn't always the best spectator sport so it's yeah. um yeah i can understand why uh, like possibly the crowds aren't as big because who do want to, i wouldn't want to stand outside i'd much <laughs> rather watch it on tv um, yeah. in my nice warm like, living room rather than being outside for minus 20, yeah. Yeah. So which do you prefer then? Do you prefer the larger crowds or do you prefer it to be like a more niche event where there's 100, 200 people? Uh, to be honest, I saw the way I, I, I race now and, and the experiences I've had is um, I basically get myself into a zone where it doesn't really matter who's around me. If there's hundreds of people shouting, if there's not, it doesn't really. I almost I describe it as having blinkers on, where I'm like, okay, I, I doesn't really bother me. I know what I need to do on the track, and that's all I'm focused on. So, I think to be honest, I like the big crowds because at the bottom of the track, once I'm done with that and I'm out of the zone and I'm out, I've done my performance side of things. Um, it's quite cool to see everyone cheering and stuff like that. It is really cool. It's kind of more motivating as well like when you see your family your friends like your, 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 my fiance was there and every, along with all my friends were there so 
to deal with those guys there was really really nice and the one with the tracks but um yeah in times over the top of the track it doesn't really affect me because of, like like i said i'm just in this weird zone mode when you won the 2023 worlds in samaritz I watched the the post-race interview that you did and you couldn't really get any words out. And I was thinking when I was watching it, like, obviously there's, it's just pure adrenaline at that point. Like, you know, you've won the race and you kind of like, everything's just happening there and then. But what point after that, was it that you actually sat down and like, it really sunk in that like, Jesus Christ, I've just won the world championships. Yeah, you uh, yeah, had the interview. Yeah, you're right. I couldn't get my words out. I was getting, I, I, I was getting like, and pulled for that interview obviously with the IBSF I had um people on the phone ready to like speak to me from like newspapers and other uh, like PBC and things like that like straight away it was kind of like for, like a whirlwind of like seven eight like people on the phone like okay calling here call there call there like what how do you feel about that and I'm like what I've literally just finished the race like no I'm still got my suit on I'm still really, like in race mode it's like minus 15 out here can I put some clothes on that <laughs> um so it's that it was um a bit intense and I was a bit like what what is going on um but I suppose it hit me as uh, obviously after all these events and stuff like that you have drugs testing um and because I, I won I got drugs tested other people like they do random ones as well but because I won I definitely get drugs tested um so I had to go there I had to sit we'll sit down drink some water so like I need to go to the toilet um uh but I was sat there with my physio it was just us two in a room and I was like Flipping out, obviously, it's a bit ruder. I just won the world championship, and she was there like, "Yeah, you did. Yeah, you did." And <laughs> I was like, quality. "It was, it was so, yeah, it was so weird because I was having treatment in between, in between peaks. Um, because I had, I actually had a, um, a, a fractured vertebrae at the time, and I didn't oh, realize. Yeah, I did it at Christmas, but didn't realise and nearly scanned me after the season in April because it wasn't really affecting me apart from a bit of pains. And then they scanned me and they were like, oh, right, yeah, stop what you're doing. But yeah, so I had a lot of treatment releasing around that area just because I felt like it was a bit tight and stuff like in between heat, just before the last one as well. I was like, yeah, I've still got a job to do. Wasn't even considering that I'd won it, even though I was like 1.4 seconds ahead or something silly like that. Yeah. Um, it was kind of like, even after the first day, I was like, no, no, I still got a job to do on my teammates. You basically won it. You're like a second ahead. They said, oh my God, this is insane. Like, I'd basically, on paper, I'd basically won it after the first heat because I was like six tenths ahead, seven tenths ahead of anyone else, which is in, in my sport is crazy. It's usually yeah. a couple of world championships ago, the top three over four heats, which is like four miles of racing. It was separated by five hundredths from the top three, Jesus which is Christ. insane. Like, so yeah. for me to be like, well, I finished it like, 1.79 i don't know what i'm pretending i don't know i know exactly how much I won by. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i won by like 1.79 seconds so like that's just like ridiculous like it was, it was insane but i found it i found it i was just yeah in physio going no i've still got a job to do still got a job to do and it was only then where i sat down i was like i think i was having like a lemonade or something like that because i was like yeah go for it like i'd train myself <laughs> after i just won in this in this anti-doping area i was like one world champion and then I remember, I think she went and got my phone for me. Someone went and got my phone for me from, my, from my thing. I remember opening my lock screen and it had like, I had like six, seven hundred notifications. And I was like, oh, like that was quite intense. And so I, I made sure I went through and replied to everyone that messaged me and stuff. Because it does, it does mean a lot, like every single message. But 
yeah, that was quite intense. Not only did I have the, in- have the interviews, I was like, all right, I'll text um, Alex and, if you're saying, and see like, how she's getting on, where is she, like, I'll meet up with her after, like, because I finished now. And I almost, I was like, whoa, like, Instagram was blowing up. At least all my text, text messages, people I hadn't heard from for years, like, messaging me and going, like, oh, watched your race or heard the result and stuff is so weird like i do skeleton it's not like i'm a sprinter or something like that but i'm still getting like so many like notifications tagged in this post tagged in that and all that yeah it's insane yeah that's wild so after that race did that change your career in any which way in terms of the exposure you were getting or anything like that uh it's changed um it's changed certain things it's changed how i um not necessarily how much i do stuff but also but in terms of um if there was like a something to do with skeleton like a, a promotional day or a promotional post or something like that they would they would always come to me and try and get that out like me to say something now and things like that and sort of like i don't want to say i don't i don't want to say become like the almost like the face of British skeletons so you kind of like yeah i do a lot to do with that but i don't want to I, I don't feel like i'm at all the face of the skeleton at all i feel like we're it's such a, a big team and there's so many more people out there that there are than just one person but it's um yeah we're it's a, a lot of that sort of stuff and like if i have um we go to events and things like that people are like, oh so you're the world champion i'm like oh yeah it still feels weird i don't really i still can't get that in my head properly yeah so the season is what nice. is it five months six months around that yeah so um yeah last year my season was around 21 weeks long um yeah and i was out of the country for 18 of them so it's quite intense wow. but i usually end of september beginning of october is when i start traveling for like because we have pre-season training and things like that and then it usually finishes back end of march um so yeah that, that's usually the period like five six months something like that so how long do you have for off season and what do you get up to in off season do you fully take yourself away from it do you allow yourself to fully just reset or are you still yeah. involved in certain things? Um, the skeleton is not on my mind. So April is um, our time off. We have like uh, we still train, obviously. Like we have like a, a rough program, but it's very low key, not like that intense. It's just stop you from rolling back into training, basically. When you're coming because you've eaten like uh, like the whole of Domino's, basically. Um, there's uh, yeah, so we still train a little bit, but April is my time off. I tend to switch off quite a lot. But this year, I found it quite difficult because that's when they scanned my back so it was all to do with like i didn't really have like well i wasn't training i still had like rehab and like it was all like meeting the coaches about like okay what's your what's your what does my rehab schedule look like can i come back for this when can i come back for this am i able to race this year and it was like so all these questions up in the air so it wasn't that relaxing of a time for me um in april this year but i've been on a few like summer holidays like couple weeks here like long weekend there so it's not the end of the world and and this year especially that like, i'm i live in london so i've i split my time between london and bath and um, normally you have to be full-time in bath but um I, I can sort of balance it a bit now um with how i train like week on week off especially with like rehabbing and and get, i'm basically back to normal now but um especially at the start i didn't need to be in the high performance gym doing um like slight crunches like ab crunches or doing like barbell squats with just a barbell or something like that so whilst i was really having i didn't need to be in that environment and to be honest i think it would have done my head in if i was when all my, my other friends were squatting like 200 kilos plus 
and I'm just about, I'm only allowed to do the barbell for like three reps in case I hurt my back again. So it's kind of, it, I mean, I'm pretty much back to what they're doing now and like, and trying to catch them up on, um, where I've got like, a, they've got like a 10 weekend start on me, but it's like motivating me to go to, to push myself harder. But yeah, April is usually when it's a normal occasion, it's in my time off. I'm not speaking to anyone. I'm just doing my own thing. I'm playing, playing a lot of golf. And like going and doing this, mm. like yeah, that that's what I normally do. So when's the preseason start usually? So preseason usually October. Well, we don't usually start racing until mid November ish. Um, but yeah, preseason October, and we usually because one of our coaches and actually two of them now are Latvian. Um, there's a coach in there's a track in Latvia, so we we go there and um, yeah, that's where that's where we spend a lot of our preseason. It just happens it's one of the toughest tracks in the world, um, which is a good place to start your season. So when you go to other tracks, you're like, oh, this is easy now. Whereas when you first start, you haven't been on a sled in six months, you're going down arguably the toughest track in the world. Um, and it's kind of like, okay, baptism of fire, but you're, you're definitely ready for racing. That's so it. what makes it a tougher track? Is it the, the, the shot, the, like the angle of the turns? Is it... Like what? What is it about it that makes it harder than the rest? So, so yeah, and um, it's nothing to do with top speed. Um, so this is probably one of the slowest tracks we go to in terms of top speed. But what makes this one difficult is how technical it is, and you have to be bang on perfect in like a lot of the corners. And there's a section from like exit corner nine to like exit fourteen, so about five corners well, where the transitions between the corners so they're big massive corners and lots of high pressure then you're straight into the other one straight into this one straight into it. and you have to be bang on perfect because you're off if you're offline to get back online is almost impossible it's really really difficult but if you're online the feeling is amazing you're like you've absolutely nailed it but it's so intense and so fast and so unrelenting it's for these four or five corners that, that that's where you make or break your race people can be absolutely flying into it and be the slowest coming out of that section and vice versa people can be oh, i've made it some mistake at the top two coming in a bit slower but if you nail that section you're flying out the bottom um and you can really catch up with people so it's kind of like well that's probably why that one was the most intense but yeah nothing to do with top speed or anything like that so when you're looking at like a track like that and say you get something wrong are you doing a lot of sort of post session analysis in terms of looking at video and like i entered it say this angle here and maybe it should have been like a bit lower and stuff like that oh sorry i paused myself uh yeah 100 percent. Uh, that's what we do like every single session uh, like whether it went well or viably um we constantly review so i might do two to three runs a day and that's because of how intense it is and how mentally they're like, draining and you're trying to like, like in those corners you're like in those corners where it's like intense i'm probably doing two or three steers in every single one of those corners that has to be bad on perfect timing and it's, it's very immensely draining in terms of your like how fast you have to work you're so tired afterwards um but yeah so after every session we'll go and review it okay you want it slightly like this angle here or this angle there actually let's try this line next time let's do this and we constantly so we have to make the most of it so for me my whole season a good season is about 180 to 200 runs um which doesn't sound that much if you think that like if a footballer only had 200 chances to practice penalty kick the whole seasons and some of those are like actually in game it's kind of like okay like it's, it's we don't actually have that much time 
actually doing our sports. So all this review, all this, um, yeah, all the reviews, all the visualization stuff and things like that is so important for us and literally key. So, yeah, I don't mm. what, what's gonna... interesting with that though, as well as like, cause it made me think of skydiving. Like where I did my first skydive a few months ago and the adrenal fatigue afterwards, just that dump where I yeah. felt sick, I couldn't move. You just like, you, you can't think straight. And you know, how long would that have taken you to adapt to that? Obviously, cause you're going at what? hundred plus kilometers an hour at the yeah, peak in some races. Yeah. Like between that is like, that's a fast track. Um, I suppose it just does become normal. I said, I said, I'd probably say it's like driving a car for the first time. Like when, when you first start 30 miles an hour, feels really fast. Um, and you're like, whoa, like how the police can get used to it. Whereas now, like you can drive 70 on the right way pretty easy and not even think about it. Whereas that, so when I first started the skeleton in like 50, 60 kilometers an hour, going from halfway down a track felt like, oh my God, and getting used to not having any brakes. And now I've started, I'm not getting off until I've been it. Like, no, you, you can't just get off halfway and be like, nah, it's something more or something like that. Um, that takes a little bit of getting used to it. And once you put it, sets out and you're relaxed, it's kind of like you get used to it. You don't even, so when I get to the bottom of a run, I'm a bit like, yeah, I'm like, well, okay, for like, a second or so and then i'm like right okay what happened in that run where can i improve next time well and your re and, and your memory during those runs has to be bow on so you have to learn how to um yeah not only concentrate but also when you get to the bottom all right remember i went into this corner like this far out and i should have been this far out like some kind of thing you have to be able to remember all those slight details whilst you've got liters of adrenaline running around your body and like your, your head scraping yards and stuff like that so it's quite mentally draining yeah for, and i don't think we fully ever get used to it because i still get really tired after a while like after like two three days in a row of like um sliding without a break you know uh, you kind of like that damn starting to feel it now yeah it, it, there are so many similarities to f1 aren't there like in terms of memorize like you see the videos of f1 drivers where you know they're doing a race sim and they, they've like got a blindfold on and they know each corner and when it's coming up and you know what to do and the gear to like the gear to be in and stuff like that so i can imagine for yourself you get to a point because you race these tracks so often that now you can if i was to point one out you could probably tell me corner from corner what's going to happen for you know that that whole one mile run 100 percent, i'll be able to tell you exactly what would happen in each of those corners if you went in late middle early angle this that you have to know it all because if that happens to you in a race you have to know what that's going to do to you how you can fix it and and um with skeleton because it is i'm sliding down on a sheet of ice you can never be a hundred percent perfect so the biggest what makes you good is your ability to fix um fix things but also yeah you know basically fix things and how like if you're not perfect uh going into this corner how can you make it as perfect as possible from that how can you correct it how can you like fix the, all the problems that are going down because i i, I guarantee you i've like some of my runs at world championships i've said i thought were close to perfect but there were still things that i could pick out and there's still things that i can improve on that would gain me even more time but it's it's that being able to accept that it's not going to be perfect but also making sure it's um like you you can fix those tiny errors as soon as possible yeah so during like in the in the peak of a season what's a week looking like for you in terms of training race like analysis all those kind of things 
Uh, so a race week, uh, so I only get two days of training before I race. Um, so it's, uh, it would be a Monday, Wednesday, Friday is my schedule. So Monday would be three runs, Tuesday off, Wednesday, three runs, those all off, Friday race. But in between those, I've got to do gym sessions. I've got to do review sessions. I've got to maintain my equipment because I'm basically my own engineer as well. Um, I've got to do like, re- yeah, do video reviews, make sure like scheduling, like I can actually tomorrow I'm going to try these sets of runners because I think the conditions are going to be like this. So I think blah, blah. And, and it's, it's very intense. You like, although it's a day off from actually going on the ice. Yeah, like I said, I've probably got another like two hour gym session to do. I've probably got either or a sprint session or I've got to maintain my equipment. I've got to then do video review. I've got to then do like prep myself, like my equipment for the next day. I've got to do it's Yeah, that's probably what a normal week looks like. And then Saturday tends to be travel days. So I'll race after a race, like celebrate. Obviously, if you do like whatever happens, you can race, pack your bags, sleep that night, get up and travel the next day say that whatever takes usually like five six hour drive usually like from track to track as a, as a ballpark so spend the whole of saturday driving possibly even train on the sunday if not if you're really absolutely dead maybe have a, a day off or something like that but that's quite rare um because you need to be like physically on it it's you know, the, the biggest difference between after like sprinters and things like that is we need to be peaked for six months of the year and then do a final even little peak for world championship right at the end of the year so it's kind of and how we don't have like four weeks of nothing and then peak and i thought we need to be stay there so it's kind of it's that's quite physically hard to to do whilst racing week in and week out yeah so obviously drive driving around europe six hours between places and stuff how many are in the team because obviously there's going to be the athletes nutritionists physios uh performance analysts you know uh snc coaches you know your you, uh, skeleton coaches all these different things so how many people typically will be traveling at once so we would probably take on a world cup circuit last year there were five athletes and probably similar amount of staff um coming with us as well like four to five members of staff well that's like physio slc sled coaches sled technicians coaches and all those sorts of people um we'd probably take at least one van maybe two vans and one eight-seater uh we're sponsored by like a, a company that like uh, gives us like broad transits and forwards all there like the eight-seaters so on circuit we'd probably have three vehicles um between us so it's kind of like yeah you'd either have two vans and an eight and an eight seater or two eight seaters and one van or like something like that yeah so then just to get i want to get onto it because it's interesting that you've started it is your youtube channel so why have you picked now to start the youtube channel rather than like a few years ago well it's something, it's something i've always kind of been interested in doing um uh, I like I've, I've watched a lot of YouTube. I, I'm very interested in it. I like where you can go with it if you do end up being successful. Um, I also had a few people ask me after Worlds, like now your world champion seemed to be a good time to start. And um, we're thinking of the sea, like what did the world champion do and, and things like that. So um, yeah, I, I enjoy it and it's a new, so I'm learning how to try and edit all the videos. I'm learning how to, to do all that. And, and to me, it's another new skill that I, after a skeleton, after I've become an athlete, that's something I could use in later life as well. So, um, and to be honest, mate, I just enjoy it. 
like it's an excuse for me to go out and do some of these board stuff but i went to a simulator um recently did that like i've got i've got this event i went to like a um guild esports which is like a, a, a gaming um team which was like that blew my mind as well i've been invited down to like another motorsport garage where they want to do like pit stop challenges and stuff like that will be which i'm a massive pencil head so that's like kind of like it like that's great for me that's um it's like it's an excuse for me to go out and do other stuff and and to be honest the main reason i actually started it seems for people like back injury um i was bored i i was doing like my session per day it would take me maybe half an hour and that's all i was allowed to do all day i wasn't allowed to walk too much i wasn't allowed to jump on a bike or was he allowed to do this like it, it was i was bored so i was like looking into or that gave me something to do whilst i was injured yeah it's because it's the same with this podcast like i'd wanted to do it for years because it was like the it's, it's amazing being able to talk to people like yourself who you would never have a conversation with otherwise and you know you get i because like i'm genuinely interested in the sports that i interview people that they're in so I have so many questions and like half of them are just off the top of my head as it goes. And, yeah. you know, actually then starting it, I was like, actually, yeah, video editing can, is a skill I can take on, you know, to something else and what have you. But it's Maybe. like, it's, I never expected video editing to be as hard as it is to try and get it's just done. It's the time consuming side of it. It's like, I'd be like, all right, quick. Like for me, it's filming aspects of it and like chatting with other people and stuff like that. I don't find that difficult because I'm, ridiculously like, I'm, I'm quite extroverted i don't really like that sort of stuff doesn't really bother me um and i quite enjoy it anyway but there's yeah it's the how long i'm like i have an idea for the uh oh, i want to edit the video like this and i start doing it and i'm like well take me hours to edit it this way or to do that it's like it's just so that's the but i am getting so much quicker at it i think it's when you first start you're like you don't I'm not really sure what you're doing and you're figuring it out but actually i'm getting a lot quicker at it and um I've got some uh, one of my teammates um, helping me as well with some ideas and, and how to do it and like how to basically try and make the most of it. But yeah, it's just a, mainly it's the fun lake to be honest. I quite enjoy it. Yeah, it's quality. I watched a few of your videos. I watched the one where you went to uh, Guild oh, Esports, <laughs> and I could not. When you yeah. said so, you, you did like the co commentary over it, and you said, you know, I thought I was doing well, and then this kid comes in, and Absolutely. I thought I was like, surely it can't get much better, and I was just. I was blown away at how quick he could do that. Honestly, unreal. a lot of the stuff I had to cut out because I was just swearing so much. I'm so like, what the, <laughs> what is going on? Like, this is, like, I, mm. I don't, like I said, come back to what I said at the start of the, um, the video, I hate losing. I, I yeah. cannot stand being like second best <laughs> at something. So I, after when we had some time off, like in between one, some of the events and stuff we were doing that day, um, I was like, can I have another go on this thing? Can I have, a, can I have another go? And I was like trying to beat in, trying to get better and better and better. Because, um, yeah, I, I hated it. But it was just, I was more like, oh my God, like, how can you be like that good? And he was only like 16 years old as well. So I was like, wow, the potential is just unreal for that. For him, like Henry, that kid as well. So it's done all done. Yeah, well, I was very, very like impressed by it. But, um, yeah. I'm a bit nervous now. You said you watched a few of my videos. <laughs> <laughs> no, I quite like them. To be fair, yeah, they were put, like they were spot on in terms of like you don't overdo it. Like you don't, you know, you don't make the video longer than it is necessary. Like if it's if you've got four minutes of content that's good, you put out four minutes of content rather than yeah. like trying to hit ten minutes or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And, like I was, I'm not I, trying. I I'm not trying the... to fit in sponsors just yet, so I don't need yeah. to. I don't need to worry about that. <laughs> yeah, they'll add about five minutes at some point. So yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah. But um, no, like the I watched the video of your training, like your gym session, and like just oh, stuff yeah. like I'm I'm really interested in stuff like that. But like I come like I watched it, and I'm not sure if you follow a guy on Instagram called it's called like Every Goddamn Dre or something, and he no. so he. <laughs> He's one of these guys, like he lifts just kettlebells and then, but he just has the ability oh, yeah. to like split squat ridiculous weights. Like you're talking 140, 150 no. kilo. And then when you're warming up and I'm like, it's pretty heavy that, it's pretty heavy that. And you get to 140 kilos, I was like, fucking what's going on here? I was like, this is outrageous. Fucking four reps, like it's nothing. I mean, yeah. But I like my teammates have actually my double leg stuff like my squats and things like that, because i've got a, gla- a, a back made of glass i'm not very good at it um but like my single leg stuff like i, I don't know i was reverse lunging i was in eighty kilos for three reps each leg the other day so it's kind of like that's just I, i'm weirdly very good at that and like doing step ups with like two 200 to 220 kilos on my back is kind of like standard you get very yeah you, you people don't realize how strong like bobsled skeleton athletes actually are like single leg stuff I'm a, I'm a like weird freak person at that I don't know why I'm so good at that but a lot of the stuff like my my friends will be um Astrograph squatting like 180 kilos for like speed reps and I'm like what the is going on like leg pressing like I don't know a standard leg press weight would be like six to eight hundred kilos for us for like a couple of reps and stuff like that yeah it's um it's pretty intense in terms of like how strong a lot of like the other athletes are. Even some like I know some like female athletes like um, Brogan. I trained with her like quite a lot as well. Um, she slots like some. I remember we used to. Uh, I think it was Olympic year. My top. I trained with like just her for um, for the whole year, and it was uh, my target was to always stay at least thirty kilos above what she was lifting. Which doesn't actually sound that much when I was like, so I had, so she trap bar deadlifting 200 kilos for five reps. And I had to go to 230 to 240 just to try and stay ahead of her. So she's the reason I became so strong, but she would outlift a lot of the male athletes. And it's just like some of the, some of the like physical freaks that are in skeleton and bobsleigh. It's just, it's unreal. And like trying to keep up with them is the only reason why I'm so strong because I don't want to get outlifted by Brogan. <laughs> It's like I interviewed uh, John Stanbridge, who's a bobsled pilot. He's in the RAF, and he's, you know, in the past year, had neck surgery, like he broke his neck in the sled. And then it was a few weeks ago, he was allowed to start actual loading again. And it's like power cleaning, like 120, 130 kilo. And I'm like, what? You've been out for like six to eight months, and you can just pick it up like it's nothing. It's crazy. Some of those bobsled boys are like, and it breaks like John's obviously quite strong, but like, well, there's there's boys that are just power like proper power cleaning and we'll catch it standing up like at 140, 150 and stuff like that. And you're like, what is going on here? Like they're just freaks, but they also weigh like 110, 120 kilos, like six foot four. Like they're just absolute mad mountains. Like it's that's my excuse of why I'm not doing that. I'm not I'm not 110 kilos. <laughs> yeah, but no, so. Just in terms of the weight and stuff, because obviously it's a it's a gravity-based sport, so it does have an advantage to be heavier. So for, for you in skeleton, like someone was telling me, it was Manny O'Mitchell, he was telling me when he was a sprinter, he was around 170 pounds. He now weighs like 225. And that's in bobsled. So like for yourself, what's ideal range to be in 
as a scout. So, athlete. Uh, you have to, there's a, a weight rule for us. Me and my sled have to be under the 10 kilos. And Why is so that? I can't, pardon? Why is that? I bet, sir. The governing body just basically went, oh, 120 kilos. It's like that. Yeah. <laughs> So it's, I don't know why it's that weight, but mm. so I have to, obviously you want, like you say, gravity sport. I want to be as close as I can be to that. But um, he says my body weight. I want to be as heavy as I can be whilst being as fast uh, as I can be. And for everyone that's different, like some people that might be like high 80 kilos, they might have a really light sled to push. Whereas I prefer pushing a heavier sled. So like, for example, my body weight's around 83, 84. Just because I like some people are even like in high seventies, and that's how they perform best. It's very much an individual, like an individual thing. But obviously, I, I when I weigh in on my race day, I want to be as close as I can be to one hundred and twenty kilos. Like because, you, you, like I say, like world championships before were won and lost by five hundred. Like first and third were five hundreds apart. And so if you're like a couple of kilos heavier overall, even if you're on the same line, you're probably going to be faster. So. You want to be as close as you can be to that. So it's very, very individual. Whereas obviously they got a bit more leeway. I think they need to be in line with like average weight of 105, doesn't the same kilo. They're big boils. Oh, they're massive then. What? But like, so in terms of next season then, what, what are you doing? Are you doing anything differently this year in terms of your prep coming into the season or like are you keeping it the same because it was successful last year? I mean, obviously it's going to be very different because you came back from injury. But they, the overall principles, I don't want to change. I think you can get lured into this like feeling of like, oh, now, now I'm trying to retain world championships. Like that, um, that you have to change everything. Whereas actually, what I did last year worked pretty well. So, like, why would I change it so drastically? Um, it might be like one or two little work ones. So, to be fair, I do this week to week anyway. Like one or two little work ones, whether that's like, uh my performance like sled stuff or whatever you, you constantly are changing progressively throughout the year and i kind of want to continue that and i basically want to pick up where i left off rather than starting a brand new if that makes sense i don't need to change anything like drastically it worked quite well last year so why would i why would i change it massively the only thing i'm going to have to be careful of is some of the, the physical side of stuff like i'm not allowed to i won't be allowed to like squat heavy or squat below 90 degrees um everyone in my life again in my back so when you see me quarter squatting that's why but like that there's certain things like that like i'll probably be on the leg press more and i'll be my training would change that will be different but everything else can probably stay very much the same yeah i didn't realize it was that bad of an injury so is that from the original l5 fracture when so you basically i've done combat? the same thing again i've basically refractured it um which is actually better than doing it fresh because the reason it broke is because there was a weakness there, not because it was like a brand new fresh foam and it's like, um, it's done it like that, but it's, it's broken because it's, uh, it's an old injury. So that's why, um, yeah, that's why it's not as bad apparently. So I still did track some other to bring it, it uh, and didn't do anything about it for three and a bit months. So, so yeah. how, did, how was that then that re rehabilitation period of, you know, reducing all the volume, all the intensity, you know, like you said, 30 minutes a day was the maximum you could do. Like now you can't squat for the rest of your life. Like having time to reflect on it, how have you felt about that? Frustrating um, because not only do I feel like I've got extra pressure on myself anyway, because I, I want to retain world titles and there's a lot of pressure in terms of program and stuff like that on me now because 
on like I, I would wear a successful rock. Yeah. Um, I also had to contend with that, so I have to try and. I felt like it was going to be tough anyway to try and um, retain that, like with this added extra pressure again. Like it, it's, it's going to be tougher, but I also have that whilst fighting against like my injury and coming back from that, and like not not being physically able to um, perform like the other boys are doing at the moment. Although to be fair, I think I'll be pretty much back to normal. Back up with those boys, your men, uh, the season comes. But yeah, it's it's. I find that quite tough before I get my head around and I very I don't set very good expectations of myself in terms of I did my first push session back. That was my latest YouTube video little vlog. Yeah, my first ever I my it, li- don't worry. Yeah. My <laughs> first push session back um was actually quite positive. I think it was only only one of the other boys beat me one more time and I haven't pushed at all about season back this year. And I'm still a long way away physically of where I want to be. So actually, in terms of the potential, I'm in a very good place at the moment. But in my head, I'm like, no, I can't let anyone beat me. I want to be the fastest. I want to be the... And I'm like, my coach is literally like, Matt, shut up. You've literally just come back. That's your first push session back. Only like only one of the boys beat you all the time. So you should be, you should be happy. Okay, I'm in a good place. Whereas my head, I hate losing. It turns back to this. Like, I want to be... And this is the negative side of it. Like, I want to be the best straight away. And I want to push myself, and which is a good thing. But I also, I'm not very good at taking a step back and being realistic with myself, and, and being like, actually, you should be, um, you should be pleased the way you're at. You should be, you shouldn't be expecting more than what you're achieving at the moment. If that makes sense. Whereas I automatically, if I achieve this, I want this. If I achieve this, I want this. In the that's how. Once it's made me successful, but it's also quite hard to do sometimes is that something you've worked on with a sports psychologist or is that not something you touch with not necessarily that i think this is only a problem in the last year or so um mm. i'm going to be i'm going to be speaking to my coaches and i've already brought it up with them and, and i think like being as open as i am with them about this sort of like how i'm feeling and the pressure i'm feeling and stuff like that is only a positive because um if I were to hide this and then I've got, I've got extra depression, I'm acting differently. My coach is like, what are you doing? Like, why are you being like this? Because actually, if you can speak to them, and, um, pressure isn't always a bad thing. Sometimes pressure is very good. Like, thrive under pressure, like, thrive under like that extra adren- adrenaline. But sometimes too much of it can be a negative. So it's finding that balance of it with your, with your coaches, with sports psychs, and knowing how you work and how, how we can get the best out of me. Um, or is, very important so um yeah I, I will be speaking to coaches and have been and, and talking through all this so set expectations of what i'm going to achieve this year and and well uh, and how i'm going to go about it basically uh, yeah yeah it's interesting because like you're already getting towards sort of the the best you can be but then it's then sort of what's that sports psychology intervention Where's that going to take it to? If you can get here without it, where you, where can you then get to? After? Different, I, I reckon there's probably probably about six or seven people that I know like internationally that could achieve things like becoming world champions. But there's only going to be a handful of people because of the top two inches. Like that, I put so much work in and almost as much work. Well, pretty much the same. Like as much work mentally and how i how i approach racing as i do physically because for me like you there was um one season 
Well, I think I did six wild claps out of the eight um, because of testing equipment and things like that. And three of them were well, top sixes plus. Three of them were ten around that. And I could literally, it, it was a direct correlation to where my mindset was really good, where my head was that really good compared to where it wasn't at its best. And whether that's pressure, whether that's this going on, I think that was the same year that I missed my grandma's funeral. Um, so one of the races are obviously down there for, for obvious reasons. I wasn't, my head wasn't in it properly. But for me, that mental state makes such a big difference. So I spend so much time talking with coaches, talking with sports sites, talking with family and friends about it. And that's why they make such a difference to me. Like it proves to me like family or friends and um, in the support I get from that is, is literally everything to me and, and can be the difference between winning and losing from it. Yeah. I think that's probably a good place to end it, but I do have one final question for you, which is how would you like to be remembered? Uh, I would like to be remembered when I leave the school as the GOAT. My, one of my uh, my coach, my coach at the moment, Martin Lucas, he's like a legend of the game. Like he's won six world championships. He's won this, he's won that. Um, I think the only thing he hasn't won is Olympic gold. Well, he's won like, a couple of Olympic silvers, but I would like to be remembered as when, like, what I, I want to be the group. Like, again, I've done what I lose. I want to be remembered as the greatest in the time. I want to win. I want to break records in terms of how much I win and how much, like, uh, what I win by and things like that. So my win in Moritz was the second biggest win ever. He's got the biggest win ever. Uh, um, so I want to beat him. <laughs> so, but obviously that's ridiculously tough because he is, like, insane what he, he does um, while doing. Um, so, but it's, that's the motivation for me. That's what I want to be remembered as. Amazing, mate. I can't wait to watch the season when it comes up now and like just sort of keep an eye on it as it comes. But where can people find you and where can people support you? Uh, so, obviously, through Instagram, uh, Matt Wexler Skeleton, on like underscores the thing of the words. It's that's, that's usually what I post quite a lot on. Obviously, I've started my YouTube channel, same same handle, Matt Wexler Skeleton, and the, all the links will be in my own. Um, in my Instagram and things like that, they're the, probably the two places where um, I I spend most of my time posting and keeping people updated more. So yeah, follow me on those and well, yeah, hopefully you're a little bit entertained. <laughs> Great, appreciate your time, mate. No, thank you very much for having me, mate. No worries. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the Real Lives Podcast with Matt Weston. He's such a great guy with really good insight into the psychology behind what he does and how that affects him. Um, you know, when we talk about high performance, we think about the drive and the success that people get from it. But when what we don't really see is that side, that how it negatively affects them and things like that. But to see him be such a success so early on in his career is amazing. So make sure to follow Matt and you know, you can find all his links down in the description below and go support him. And yeah, I'll see you next Monday for another video with James Barnes Miller, the Paralympian snowboarder.